ready? So come on, baby. Welcome to Popcorn Martini Soup, a movie podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Anna. And we're your hosts, here to hang out. And we always end up talking about movies. Usually over a couple of martinis. Or a warm bowl of soup. And we are very excited today after the saga that we have been through over our last couple of episodes. Guys, we have decided on a sound for our thirst buzzer. (laughs) This is big news. (laughs) It really is because I feel like at every gathering, and when I say every, it's like twice because I rarely ever go out. (laughs) I'm a homebody. The many both times... That many both times that we have been <laughs> in groups of people recently. Yeah, I was like, ideas on Thirst Buzzer. We went through a lot of options mentally and were either like, no, that's like not quite the right feeling or like, mm, that's that's too much. <laughs> so our friends were very kind, gave us a lot of options. We talked through a whole bunch of things and we have settled on... I think it sounds like kind of refreshing. You're quenching your thirst. It sounds fun and bubbly. So I'm into that. (laughs) That is where the like where the thirst comes from. It's like a pure place of fun. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, not for me. (laughs) Not pure, but yeah. (laughs) Okay. um, But yeah, we have to give shout out to this idea. Yes, so thank you to our friend and my roommate, Paige, for coming up with that idea. You should check out Paige's stuff because it's amazing. Right now she's really doing a lot of like really cool bookish stuff on YouTube. You can find her, her pages, Paige Felicia, and support her content because we love her and she's great. Perfect timing for our um, thirst buzzer um, to be (laughs) finalized because queer faves we're talking about queer faves so we have talked a little bit in the previous couple of episodes about queer movies this representation of queerness and a movie specifically about queer people or whether it's like quote-unquote incidental queerness seems to sort of recur in the kinds of movies that we love to watch yeah it's something that we clearly have a lot of thoughts and feelings about and there are so many great movies like we've been really lucky and i'm really thankful that there's a lot of queer cinema right now and so we just kind of wanted to celebrate some of our favorites from the canon some some particularly fun or interesting or important takes on queerness in art great intro like (laughs) let's leave it at that i am ready to talk about this amazing (laughs) we can jump right in okay let's do this Okay, so I really wanted to start by bringing some attention to a movie that I didn't even know about until earlier this year so I was following the news out of Sundance which happened earlier this year and They were doing, um, because most of Sundance was virtual again this year, um, they were doing like a test screening for everybody who was attending. And they showed this movie as their test screening. And it was open to anyone who had signed up to their newsletter. So I signed up so that I could get access to this movie because I was really curious. I had never heard about it before. Yeah. Um, It's called The Incredibly True Adventure of Two Girls in Love. Uh, 1995, directed by Maria Magenti. And um, one of my friends on Letterboxd had actually watched the movie previously and given it a really high rating and a really great review. 
And I was so intrigued by this like queer movie from the 90s that I had Mm. never heard of. And thank you to Sundance for making this available because I absolutely adored it. Yeah. It's about, I mean, it's about what it says in the title, Two Girls in Love. Um, But it's about these two young women, uh, sort of like two girls from different sides of the tracks kind of kind of thing very different economic backgrounds um one of the young women randy she's pretty mask presenting her family is quite poor her parents are also queer she lives like with two queer women and then an ex-girlfriend it's a really great interesting family dynamic that you never see represented on screen so that was very fun yeah um but i i loved it because It felt very real. It felt very grounded. The kind of story that young people in the 90s were getting, but queer young people were not. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. so normalized. Yes, there is conflict because, of course, there has to be. But none of it is like, you're not allowed to be gay. Mm-hmm. It's it's really like appreciative and celebrative of their love. Um, you haven't seen this, right? No, I haven't. I've never heard of it either. So I, I'm trying to <laughs> figure out where I can watch it, how so I can watch it. This is the thing. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. It is yeah. like criminally underseen and underdistributed. Um, right. Less than 6,000 members on Letterboxd have this as watched which is like very low when you like compare it to other movies especially like other 90s movies and yeah so I was really grateful that Sundance was like here sign up and we'll like let you stream this movie for free I wonder if TIFF might ever like screen it or um, maybe like Inside Out yeah this definitely seems like the kind of movie that TIFF like a TIFF programmer would bring in as part of their year-round programming yeah that would be really cool Um, we don't have this on our list today but like um, when we went to the Toronto our door picture show we saw chutney popcorn we did which was so great and that's another movie that i don't think you can find streaming anywhere i think you're right that one is another that one's 1999 so another queer 90s movie that is Mm -hmm. criminally under distributed and underseen and also both this one the the incredibly true adventure of two girls in love and chutney popcorn feature women of color yeah so, I mean, it's interesting and probably not that surprising that early pioneering queer indie films are primarily, you know, featuring women of color yeah, and are not getting the kind of attention, even now as like so much of older queer film is having a resurgence. People have been telling these stories for years and years and years. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of that like accessibility and like putting it out there and like mass market and like and, and yeah so I really I mean that's why it's it's really great that like festivals like Toronto International Film Festival like their year round year round program and being able to like see a lot of really great archives that you don't get to pick up in like streaming services mm-hmm. um it's something I think we're really lucky to have here in Toronto is there yeah. are so many um arts festivals and film festivals specifically that make the effort to mm-hmm. find these kind of more underseen and underappreciated gems yeah. um, that like really we might not even ever be exposed to otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we can't not talk about Call Me By Your Name, right? The quintessential, <laughs> controversial, new classic, I guess. I can't believe this was 2017. Like, has it been that long already? Yes. Yes, it has. We are old now. 
I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Bizarre. Um, it's uh, Luca Guadagnino's 20, 2017 movie mm-hmm. with the Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Uh, Obviously, the controversial Army Hammer. Mm, yes. I will say, just on that note, I mean, I think we both have some mixed feelings about this movie. Um, I think part of that is the movie itself, and part of that is all of the stuff that has recently come out about Army Hammer. Yeah. Um, if you don't know, we're not going to get into all of the allegations here, because that's not what this <laughs> is about. Um, please go use the internet and find out for yourself if you are brave enough to do so but i think i I, i've done a lot of thinking about this movie since those allegations came out and sort of Mm -hmm. interrogating you know it's the whole like separate the art from the artist question that comes up all the time that i always struggle with for me like army hammer is not the important part of this movie Mm -hmm. somebody else could have acted that character and this movie would still feel the same to me Mm -hmm. because he is not what makes or breaks this movie. Right. I really understand why people are so attached to the book and why people see this as like an important queer coming of age story. Mm -hmm. But also the criticisms about the power dynamic and the age difference are so valid because I think, you know, within the queer community, there is a lot of normalizing of age differences because people come out at different stages of their life and people have such a range of queer experience that sometimes people find each other at different ages but similar stages yeah right and i think it's okay to explore that but also it's good to be interrogating what are the dynamics when you're putting it like in art yeah absolutely i mean speaking of uncomfortable the screenwriter james ivory um apparently said that both army hammer and timothy chalamet had like a written thing in their contract that they would not have like a full frontal nudity in this in this movie mm-hmm. even though like his screenplay stipulated that both characters would appear fully nude um that's the case in like the book and then so like the mm-hmm. assumption was there was gonna be that in the movie um i think luca like talked about how like he wanted to steer away from full sort of sex scenes in this movie because they like wanted to kind of focus on everything else like the emotional kind of dynamic in mm-hmm. in the film rather than doing something gr- gratuitous um like that the screenwriter um james ivory is talking about like how kind of a pity it's just this american attitude nobody seems to care that much or be shocked about a totally naked woman it's the men this is something that must be so deeply cultural that one should ask why um well so that makes me think of like gender dynamics and how there's been a lot of talk lately especially about how if a woman has a no nudity clause in her contract Mm -hmm. she doesn't get work that like women are expected if you are asked to be nude on screen if you want to continue working until you reach like a certain level of clout which for women the bar is much higher right than it is for men yeah um like you said this was timothy's like breakout role really and that he could you know hold his ground and say like no this is in my contract i'm not doing this i think is good But I think that, like, women should also be able to do that and still get work. So, like, I agree that, like, American cinema can be pretty prudish. Like, look at the Marvel movies where, like, practically nobody even kisses. But I also, I worry for this story that there's also a sense of, like, fetishization 
of gay men mm-hmm. because that's another conversation that's happening a lot lately. Um, it's happening a lot in the book world where a lot of white straight women write the majority of queer male books Mm -hmm. and i think that you know there's a line between this is like a piece of art that i am creating and this is like fetishizing an identity that i don't share right we were kind of talking about this earlier but like worst case scenario is blue is the warmest color yeah as an example but so much talked about how that is like fetishizing of queer identity and of queer bodies yeah and like Adele the young actress in that did not appear to have any agency over what she was doing in that movie Mm -hmm. which is a really uncomfortable dynamic yeah yeah call me by your name has a lot of a lot of things going on that so amazing. It does. But, yeah. It does. And like the hardest part about some of that is it's hard to reconcile that with the pieces of the movie that I really love. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred like, percent. Yeah. I love the world that Luca has created Same. in like nineteen eighties Italy. It feels yeah. so warm and like cozy and like it, it the feeling it creates. Yeah. You can feel, I mean, that's what like Luca's really good at in his movies. I feel that mm-hmm. for a lot of his um, movies with like a bigger splash. And also I Am Love with Tilda Swinton in it um, mm. as well. And then obviously Suspiria. <laughs> right. But like, yeah, they're, they're all like very different types of movies, but it just, there's like a feeling to it. You can, this sounds so weird, but you can almost like, like feel it physically touch it smell it like there is a world there that you can actually feel like you close your eyes and like you can see it all happen which I think is like really beautiful yeah it creates a space for you to exist in Mm -hmm. while you are watching this movie while you are like going along with the story and it's so it feels so comforting yeah also the music I love the music this whole soundtrack soundtrack. is incredible yeah have i listened to the music and also eat like oranges and like peaches yes i have done that um so (laughs) you had to go there yeah i had to go there (laughs) like just like the full the full experience the my favorite moment and this is i think like everyone's moment um one of many from this movie is like obviously the very end when timmy is just staring into (laughs) the fireplace mm, that's such a beautiful moment yeah and then, and then the like the credits song. come in yep. and then like he's he's still there he's still sitting there he's still like and like the just the tear like running down <sighs> so good yeah that was a good moment my favorite moment comes not long before that actually um and i have to shout out michael stuhlbarg who does an incredible job at playing elio's dad he's so good yeah. He's so good. And near the end of the movie, um, Elio is like mourning the loss of um, mm. of Oliver and this like love that he was feeling yep. without any questions or probing or making Elio feel any kind of like discomfort or guilt over this thing that he is still grappling with. Yep. And he says, but to make yourself feel nothing so as not to feel anything, what a waste. And it's just this perfect moment between the two of them that is so affirming of everything that Elio is feeling. Yeah. I get emotional at that moment every time. Yeah. Okay, let's switch it up a little bit and go with something that has a very different vibe, but is (laughs) still like coming of age, a young person 
figuring it out. It's a little cheesy. It's very, I think it like, it gets a lot of flack for being super light, which, Mm -hmm. you know, there are a lot of really light rom-coms for straight people. We deserve something like Love, Simon. Absolutely. I was like so happy how cheesy it was. Look, like, straight people can get, like, all the shitty, cheesy romantic movies, like you said, and, like, where's all the, where's all that for the queer people? Seriously. (laughs) Yeah, which actually is, I mean, this is no surprise because we were kind of talking about this, like, earlier with, like, the 90s films, Mm -hmm. but, like, apparently this was the first film produced by a major Hollywood studio to feature a gay teenage protagonist. Wow. I wrote, wait, really? question mark but i was like yeah that seems insane because love simon only came out in 2018 Mm -hmm. that seems so late for that first bizarre wow so anyway um i have another tidbit about this but apparently (laughs) just as the film went into production nick robinson person that plays simon his younger brother came out as gay um just so cute (laughs) good for baby robinson i'm happy for you yeah also this is also so random um our our canadian buddy sean mendes (laughs) was apparently invited to audition for the role of simon but apparently like his schedule was like I don't know, it didn't work out or something like that. <laughs> but I can I can totally see it. See, I'm very attached to Nick Robinson as Simon. But, but they've like, got the same kind of like look about same them. Energy. Yeah. 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 Love Sean. Love Sean. <laughs> <laughs> the Canadian Love Simon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So Love Simon is based on a book. It's called Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda. And mm-hmm. I just want to address like because this relates back to something I said earlier, that book was written by a woman mm-hmm. and it is about a queer man. Yeah. But the author of the book, Becky Abletali, is queer herself. And I think that there's a there's a real complexity to the question of like writing outside of your identity. Yeah. And I don't think there's a right answer. I don't think there's a like, you can only do this if, or you can only do this when. And like reading the book, obviously... I am not a gay man. I am not the person who can say this is like good representation or not. Mm -hmm. But I felt very comforted and validated Mm -hmm. by the way that Becky wrote it. And I think that, you know, she is one of those people who has received a lot of blowback from the conversation that has come up around this topic. And I think like unfairly so. I think that there are some authors who are very conscious and very respective of the perspectives that they're writing. And I think like when you look at the story that we got and you look at the kind of like beautiful representation that came out of the story and like now it's iteration in this movie, like we are really lucky to have this story in our lives. Mm -hmm. This is another movie that has an incredibly validating scene between the main character and a parent. Yeah. Um, This time it's with Simon's mom, who's played by Jennifer Garner, who is like perfect. Yeah. Like seems like the most comforting presence in the world. Simon's speaking of Jennifer Garner. Simon's coming out dream sequence is to um, Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody. (laughs) Excellent song. His movie mom, who Jennifer Garner, gets ready for a night out on like a night out to the same song in um 13 going 30 that's an incredible connection yeah it's so cute (laughs) i love it (laughs) that's so fun and what a great song such a great song yeah for anyone who hasn't seen it i mean this is gonna be a 
like a spoiler in what I'm gonna just about to say. With all the back and forth with Simon talking to this mysterious person on the other side, mm-hmm. and they're going back and forth, and we don't know who it is the whole time, and we're making all these different guesses with Simon, we're right there with him, and then to find out at the end that it's like the super hot boy. <laughs> <laughs> the person was, we all hoped it was all yeah. along you you could you never know with these like you know cheesy cliche movies where they might go with the non-traditional choice and mm-hmm. like but then no it actually goes back to like the cheesy cliche choice <laughs> and i love it <laughs> it's exactly what this kind of movie is for straight people it really yeah, is like, truly um weren't they at like a carnival or like they were yes. they're on like a ferris wheel oh my god they sure are yeah and i'm just like my face hurts from just like smiling <laughs> feeling giddy. way to give like all of today's teens a like carnival fantasy yeah for their like perfect first kiss or whatever like it just it's it's the john hughes feeling for today's queer teens yeah. which is exactly what they deserve we need like a love susan <laughs> um where's the girl version that's a good question of love simon if anybody can think of anything i would like to see the girl version of love simon yeah or like maybe one day we'll get like the trans version of love simon or like a non-binary like yeah you get a love person and you get a love person and you get yeah everyone needs a love person that they feel like reflects them and gives them the kind of joy that straight people have been getting out of rom-coms like this forever forever yeah and just like have that have that dream moment yeah why can't oh my oh my god I would have loved like adventure, Adventureland era Kristen Stewart yes. <laughs> to play Blue, like the the anonymous mm, other interesting. one. And then I'll be. It'll be Love Anna. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody make that movie now. <laughs> oh my god! And like, oh my god! Okay, yeah. Now, okay, <laughs> yeah. This is my. This is the moment where the thirst buzzer comes in. <laughs> Yeah, you're you fan it. casting yourself opposite Kristen mm-hmm. Stewart in the girl mm-hmm. version of Love Simon. Yeah, because now yeah. I'm imagining her say, "Why are you emailing me when you could be eating Oreos?" Love, Kristen. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> my leg is up. <laughs> the thirst buzzer the is air. on. <laughs> Okay, yeah, sorry. I'm going to dial it back. Um, <laughs> speaking of that line, though, the why are you emailing me line? So apparently you can, like, the email address that they, like, Simon uses is valid, and it replies automatically, that whole line. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's super cute. It made me want to try that. it, but yeah. Did you try it? <laughs> I haven't tried it. Maybe we try it with our popcorn martini soup email. Like, we, we like, just that. casually promote it as well. <laughs> Listen to, to the, the bot on Sam. the other end. Yeah, yeah. Can you listen to the pod, Simon? Um, let's Amazing. move on. Okay. Okay. Let's switch gears again. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's talk about water lilies. Oh, I love water lilies. Same. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, no, I, I, I loved it as well. We went to see it. When did we see it? It was last, uh, last year. Um, yeah, late last year. Um, during yeah. the very brief period that theaters were open, 
last like fall early winter it was at tiff when they were doing celine siama's filmography yeah i knew that i was going to love them i mean you heard me gush about portrait of a lady on fire and after that i was committed to seeing everything that celine has ever done celine is a really special director yeah would you say she's like your all-time favorite director she is definitely like one of my all-time favorite directors for sure you know it's very easy to look at a teenager and be like wow she's overreacting or like she's so Mm -hmm. dramatic and you know you think that when you're a teenager that every little thing is like the world ending and it's not that important right like it's very Mm -hmm. easy to talk down I think about like coming of age stories and and teens and children and she never does that the characters I can't remember how old they were were they like 14 I think between like 14 and 16 which is such a miserable age yeah it is I loved this movie because of all the things you just described but also that with the way Celine depicts these characters there's no bullshit it just goes straight into it at at least to me it feels like whenever there some sort of emotion that comes out of the two is particularly the two main characters like yeah there's no real bullshit in a way that like other movies depict that kind of age and maybe maybe I was acting very dramatic and I absolutely was in the oh ages I, for I know sure. I was yep yeah but at the <laughs> same time so much of the way kids are are shown in movies is like that times a hundred. It's like really dialed up. But I don't feel that with the way Celine did this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I was like really, really drawn to. And I felt kind of, yeah, seen in that way. Yeah. She really takes the time to understand her characters and where they're coming from and how they're feeling. Yeah. And she shows you that perspective without sort of tainting it by saying like okay but I know that you're watching this as an adult and you would think this way about it it's like no it's just the character coming through and especially because of that I was so drawn to the the main character Marie Mm -hmm. I just like felt like it was like so real the way she was going back and forth between trying to figure out her feelings and emotions toward Florian who's played by Adele who is like incredible and just like glowing and so attractive (laughs) I mean it's so weird saying that about a teenager she's not a teenager anymore so no no (laughs) but like absolutely the kind of attractiveness that like uh 14 15 16 year old me would have just been like completely controlled, enamored, <laughs> like brainwashed by mm-hmm. everything that Marie was going through. I I so relate because mm. I went through that as well. Yeah, which we talked about for like hours after we saw this movie <laughs> over a glass of wine. Should have been a martini to be on Should've brand. Been a martini. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I think the wine was cheaper that night, so you know, <laughs> we have uh, we have lives to maintain. We can't always have a martini. No. No, I agree. There's something incredibly relatable about about the whole character of Marie the the entire way that this this film plays out for her and I think one of the things that I really appreciated and really saw in it was the way that Marie is taking on and like not just Marie but Florian as well and even um Marie's other friend I think her name is Anne. Anne, yeah. The way that they are wearing the weight of other people's views of them. Yeah. The way that, like, men view teen girls. Yeah. The way that teen boys view teen girls. And then even the way, the way that, like, other girls see each other. Mm-hmm. There's so 
much of that like woven into this story in really like subtle nuanced ways but you can see the effect that it has on them and how they have to like change parts of themselves or build themselves up in response to what other people see or what other people think of them and I think that really affects the dynamic between Marie and Florian part of what they are doing is navigating those personas and those like expectations and views that other people are putting on them yeah and they can't just like come into an interaction together and fully be themselves yeah and that's such a big part of like being a teen girl and trying to navigate like who you are going to be in the world is also like who are you in the eyes of everybody else around you yeah definitely so relatable Anne's character was so such a great character too just as yeah. like that that bff like that duo with marie just like so sweet and how like fraught that can be when you're a teen teenage girl like you've got a crush on someone and you're like really interested in finding ways to spend time with them and you're maybe yeah. learning how to like balance these various relationships in your life and your best friend can like sometimes kind of get left behind and then how do you mm fix that like how do you learn how to balance all of these different things when so much of it feels so new I thought that was a really yeah. beautiful friendship and also like an exploration of how does that friendship change and grow with you as mm -hmm. you are exploring like all of these new because let's be real like I would also have been distracted from everything else in my life around Adele and mm. Elle and so like I could relate. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I feel really awkward about the way that she is, like, blowing off her friend, who clearly is is very dedicated to her and, and needs mm -hmm. her as, as a friend. But also, how do you say no when Adele is like, hey, do you want to come to the pool after school? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, I do. Yeah, I think, like, I know I've mentioned this, too, but, like, I was waiting for this moment to say that, like, something like water lilies I would have loved to see as like a kid and I don't know how yes. I would have been exposed to a movie <laughs> like this in Japan and like as like a teen like I don't know how I mean my mom was really really good at finding so many different types of films like growing up and I don't know how she found them um yeah where was water lilies in my in my life this whole time <laughs> <laughs> is how I felt when I watched this it is, yeah definitely another film that could make a big difference to a teen girl who's like really unsure and doesn't have the language yeah. to talk about what she's feeling and can't really figure it out this could really help Florian is so cool, but like Marie is also really cool too. Like as much as I say that I like relate to Marie, like I feel like I was I felt definitely way dorkier than like the way Marie is depicted, which I think is still pretty dorky and like Yeah. And you I know, think she feels that like extra 100%. level of self consciousness and, and dorkiness. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely would have identified with that, but at the same time, like it's so cool to see that kind of like similarity in a character and yet like she comes out of all of this like stronger and like a little bit more aware of who she mm -hmm. is and yeah to be able to see that would have been super cool like growing yeah. up again very validating yeah. very like very validating for sure okay so let's switch gears a little bit and move from the coming of age space into a more established a little bit more grown-up view of exploring queerness um let's talk about carol oh my god we couldn't not talk about carol um 2015 directed by todd, todd hayes. hayes yeah the dynamic that Kate. i mean first of all Kate blanchett second of all rooney mara 
third of all, just the two of them. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it, but just like, oof, sexy. <laughs> so sexy. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. First <laughs> alarm. Yeah. I, I will admit, like, Carol is almost, like, overplayed at this point because it is the thing that, especially in 2015 when we were all like kind of transitioning out of tumblr but still like a little bit in in the tumblr era yeah carol was like had all of the tumblr gays in oh a oh my oh my god i you, you could not so... exist on the internet as a gay <laughs> without having carol in your face all the time all the time and i mean thank goodness because i can't i i don't even know oh my god i that you just remember oh my god <laughs> <laughs> cue it's all coming back to me by celine dion right now <laughs> like all the all the saved oh my god all the saved things in, in tumblr related to carol i should look into that anyway go on i can't go back there that was <laughs> not a time that needs to be revisited but i love that this is one that has, has had staying power like people still i know people who rewatch carol like every December every t- every year around Christmas mm. and like this is their Christmas movie like the tension that builds mm-hmm. even the slightest little like moment that they have <laughs> with the glove yeah with the glove yeah it's just like a lot <laughs> yeah the fashion the looks the colors and like the color scheme that like um, Kate Blanchett's character has, and then like Rooney mm-hmm. Mara's character has, is very very distinct. The costuming is impeccable. Yeah, this is another like really well built world mm-hmm. through the filmmaking. Yeah, where you really feel like you are present, you are part of it, like it's happening around you instead of on the screen in front of you. Yeah, there's something about the way Kate Blanchett plays the role that kind of has a similar energy to like Water Lilies. Like, like the role that Adele plays. Mm, interesting. Like there's a certain kind of like confidence that the character comes off with, but clearly there is something, you know, whether that's an insecurity or whether that's like an issue that the character is going through, um, like behind the scenes of this veil that they have going on mm. through their costume, their physicality, and like the way they just kind of like put themselves out to like, the world versus who they are and who they show to this other partner yeah feels a little bit similar which just popped into my head (laughs) yeah i'd never thought of it like that before i see it though i like that it's like she's she's this one thing on the surface and then when you get close enough when she starts to open up there's all of this other stuff going on underneath and she goes from being this like very cool unapproachable i mean kate blanchett makes me want to say ice queen because she's very good at that like kind of ice queen role but Mm -hmm. Not quite that, but this this person who looks like they have like one easy dimension and that is who they are like the woman who has got it all together and is like head and shoulders would like never notice you. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get in under that facade a little bit and it's so much more complicated. Um, as okay, so the next movie, I think we should we should get a bit weird. Gladly, with yes. our pick. <laughs> um, I think I added this. I'm not sure, but um, the favorite. Love the favorite. What a great by movie. Yorgos. I never know how to say his last name. Land 
Lanthimos? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I keep, uh, yeah, but anyway, Yorgos. This was, uh, this was such a fun movie. It's so fun. And the cast is perfection. We can't not talk about the favorite without, I think, quickly mentioning about the costume design on this because, like, Mm. it's it's incredible. Um, So, and I had no idea about this, but the costume designer, uh, Sandy Powell, um, had to apparently divide her duties between doing this film and also Mary Poppin Returns 2018. <laughs> okay. What a bizarre, weird, like trippy thing to be a part of. Like the favorite and Mary Poppins. At the same time. Both movies got her an Oscar nom for best costume design. Wow. Good for Incredible. her. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's she amazing. She did amazing work on this. And also speaking of costume design, um, apparently the makeup designer, um, I think her name's Nadia Stacy, um, but according to her, so Nicholas Holt, who is amazing in this movie as well, I mean, so yeah, good. he's great. Um, he apparently named all his wigs, like, which makes <laughs> so much sense if you've seen this movie, like, and this you know this character like I love that he leaned into that weird weird thing so his um main wig was named Barbara or like they apparently called it Babs um incredible (laughs) and the orange wig that he so he's he has a couple different wigs obviously but the orange wig that he wears when he's like throwing pomegranates at this nude person um is named Lulu and then there was another one called Hattie. Like Nicholas Holt as Harley is such a standout character yeah. in, in the film. Like he is, aside from um, Joe Alwyn's character, who is like more minor, he is sort of the primary attention getting male figure. He is the only one who really matches the level of weird of the three primary female characters. And so to have him have that like pure dedication, like Nicholas Holt seems like that kind of actor. And I really love that mm-hmm. about him. Yeah. Um, we have Olivia Coleman as Queen Anne. We have Rachel Weiss as Lady Sarah, who is like her childhood best friend. They've grown up together. Now she is her sort of right-hand woman who also is like using their relationship, um, both emotional and sexual, to manipulate her into getting what she wants out of the Queen of England. And then we have her cousin, Abigail, played by Emma Stone, who is like new to court and immediately picks up on this dynamic to weasel herself in and get what she wants out of it. And the like power play intricacies, the back and forth, the way that like both of these women manipulate Queen Anne is so interesting. And I think like when I was looking back on it, I I was like, oh, this is this is like rough. Like these two women are like using their power and their sexuality over the queen to like manipulate her and to yeah. get what they want out of her. Yeah. And then I, I actually rewatched this really recently and I saw how sympathetic Yorgos is to Queen Anne in his filmmaking. Like she seems mm. unwell and like is pretty, she comes across as like very not really in control of her emotions and the way she expresses herself. And I think that that could be like a really um, unfair and like kind of dangerous portrayal of the kind of mental illness that she's clearly suffering from yeah and I really appreciated that on rewatch that like he didn't let that power dynamic become so off kilter that she was just like purely unable to do anything and like pitied like yeah she she was cared for by the director while she wasn't being cared for by the characters if that Mm -hmm. makes sense yeah definitely that's a really great point 
Second watch, I think I was like rooting more for Rachel and Olivia's characters. Like, I don't know. Mm. I just I just love the triangle dynamic that happens in this movie mm. and the glimpses of, I think, like genuine for the characters. Maybe it's really, really toxic, but like for the characters in that moment, this genuine love that they have for each other as well, especially Definitely. Olivia and, and Rachel's characters, like even Rachel's character, like, yes, she's, like, ab- completely manipulating the queen um, for the power and all that stuff. But, like, there's also just glimpses of, like, actual love and care that comes from that character, too. Totally. Maybe this is, like, a little bit of a spoiler, but I don't think it affects your viewing of the movie. I love that at the end, like, nobody really wins. Like, yeah. there is no, nobody is happy at the end. They're mm-hmm. all playing these games with each other and trying to, like, they're all trying to manipulate and outsmart each other. Mm-hmm. And in the end... And, like, they all suffer for it. Nobody is happy. So, I don't know if you knew this, but (laughs) I got so excited to tell you about this. Apparently, because of this, Emma Stone was busy and she was forced to drop out of Little Women, the 2019 Little Women. Oh. And she was replaced by Emma Watson. Oh. So she was supposed to play Meg. Isn't that crazy? Interesting. Oh, wow. I... I'm now trying to picture Little Women. I can't really see it because, like, mm. as much as I'm, I'm not, I'm not crazy about Emma Watson, especially since her accent is absolutely horrible. I'm sorry, <laughs> I love you, but like, it's nothing personal, okay? <laughs> but yeah, she, she, she was fine. Like, she was not like a standout Meg no. to me. I also don't know that like Meg was necessarily a standout part of that adaptation anyway. No. Yeah. I think that Emma Stone made the right choice with going with this over um, Little Women because this character is so much more dynamic. There's so much go- more going on for it. Um, yeah. Whereas like Meg in that adaptation kind of takes a backseat, rightfully so, I think, yeah. to like Joe and Amy and Laurie and Marmy as like the core yeah. holding up that movie. So Yeah. Okay, and then my last weird random fact about this movie. Um, The characters eat lobster and venison, like deer meat. Like Yorgo's two films, previous films, Mm -hmm. were the The lobster lobster. and the killing of a sacred deer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That is all. Yorgos loves a good, um, like, (laughs) self-reference. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that if we're going to cover a whole bunch of our queer faves on an episode... It would only be right to include 2019's Lingua Franca, Mm -hmm. which um, I think is the only trans movie that we have on on our list for today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But is one that I was really moved by. It's a Netflix original, so uh, really easy, easily accessible, which is great. As we've talked about, some of these are not so. And the director, Isabel Sandoval, also is the lead character. And you can really tell that Isabel is very invested in telling this story. She, I think, is drawing a little bit on her own experience, but also is writing on behalf of so many people with this. Because Mm. um, as the main character, Olivia, she is a trans woman, she is Filipina, and she's also undocumented. And she's living in the States, um, in Brooklyn, just trying to, like, find a way to stay in the States and to, like, feel secure in her life. Yeah. Which, like, as a woman of color who is undocumented and trans, 
is not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she is in a like a financial arrangement with this man for a green card marriage. And he backs out of their arrangement and basically is like, I met someone, I can't marry you for your green card, like, here's your money back, whatever. And so she really kind of runs out of options. And she's she's a caregiver for an older woman who, as you mentioned, is played by the actress who plays Mags um, <laughs> in The Hunger Games. I adore her. I think she's great. She's also really great in this role. You can't not love her after seeing her as Mags, I think. <laughs> So Olivia is, like, caring for this woman, and um, her grandson comes home, shows up in their lives, and Olivia is, like, kind of drawn to him, but also very wary of him. And so they start this really sort of tentative dynamic relationship, maybe. And I just thought it was so interesting watching that unfold, and you can see Olivia, like, Every choice she makes, she has to weigh, you know, what is the danger here for Mm -hmm. me? Mm -hmm. And do I want this? Is it worth the risk of, you know, all of the various dangers that she is facing? Um, And there's like a scene that's like a really great conversation between her and another trans woman that she is friends with. Um, and, And just talking about like something as simple as trying to get a piece of ID that matches their current like matches their gender while also being undocumented Mm -hmm. is impossible there was it was covering so many like really weighty topics Mm -hmm. but i never felt like bogged down and heavy in it like isabel is a really wonderful filmmaker and um i'm really excited for what she does next i think you might also be excited for what she does next because she is currently directing um, for a mini series called Under the Banner of Heaven, starring your fave, Andrew Garfield. And I think that she's just going to do a phenomenal job. She's like, she's so yeah. good and he's so good. It's going to be a beautiful partnership. <laughs> just the silent nodding. <laughs> yeah. Having stories like this be available and accessible, mm-hmm. not only. I mean, we've talked a lot about, like, the importance of people being being able to see themselves in, in these films, but also, you know, the people, like, people like me who's a cis woman and also an immigrant seeing a very, very different weight of experience in a movie mm-hmm. like this that it just, you know, having insight into different stories outside of your own experiences. Mm -hmm. It feels so special when um, a director like this just opens up about a story like this and puts it out there. And then someone like Netflix, you know, picks it up, which is also Mm -hmm. a huge deal and having it accessible to so many people across the world. And yeah, to be um, able to share that perspective and share that, you know, there are so many different ways to approach a quote-unquote issue like yeah. immigration so many people have experience with but this is another unique perspective that most people will not have experienced mm-hmm. yeah and i think it's really important that as much as art is you know a method of self-expression and a method of entertainment i think it's also meant to 
provoke empathy and to show you other people's lives yeah and take you outside of yourself to say like remember that everybody that you encounter has something going on that you are not aware of and to approach other people and and their lives and their stories with empathy and with understanding or at least like openness to understanding. No, that you put it so well. Like that's exactly what I was trying to say. And to add to that, it gives perspective to your experience and your reality too. And mm. it, it gives an opportunity for you to just kind of pause and take a second to look at your situation from another perspective. And yeah. film is such a great way to like be reminded of the different perspectives that you can have of your, you know, your own experience and widen your horizon i'm cutting that but <laughs> widen your horizon widen. <laughs> <laughs> oh this idiot um <laughs> yeah okay to close this out i kind of wanted to do a little bit of like a showdown thing mm -hmm. because over the last few years we've gotten three very similar movies um it's kind of a joke online now that like all of the movies all of the queer movies that we get are like two historical white ladies who like don't get to end up together it's like historically repressed lesbian love and that's it <laughs> that's like the only queer story <laughs> the first one of this like three movie series that we're focusing on um is portrait of a lady on fire it was the first to be released it came out in 2019 and then the other two are both from 2020 ammonite starring saoirse ronan and kate winslet um which takes place in 1840s england and then the world to come starring uh katherine waterston and vanessa kirby um which takes place like in the mid 19th centuries um, in in America, in the US. All of these movies, if you like laid them out, are at their heart the exact same movie. Yeah, I remember like all the memes that came out of, um, uh, most of them I was seeing with like Amnite and like, um, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm -hmm. And like just kind of like a side by side of like the snippets and the trailers. And I'm just like, what? is this copy-paste duplicate situation. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I haven't, I haven't seen Ammonite, but like you've, you've, tell me, tell me everything you just, you mentioned that steered me away from watching that. Okay. So like I said, like Portrait yeah. of the Lady on Fire is my favorite. Mm -hmm. um, I won't go over that again. I already gave lots of reasons. So we'll talk about, I'll, I'll talk about the other two kind of in comparison and like compare and contrast. We're back in school. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about Ammonite, specifically because, like, Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan are great actresses. There is no reason that this movie should have been bad. Mm -hmm. It is everything that I love in a movie, plus two great actresses, and there was zero emotion. There was absolutely no passion in this movie at all. And I am supposed to believe that these two characters who are like left alone together to heal one of the women's it's like it's basically like depression, but they didn't call it that back then. Um Charlotte, Sersha's character, is left with Mary, Kate's character, um, who is fossil hunter, basically. Um, I don't know that she ever got like a real title because she was a woman working in the 1840s and they didn't acknowledge women back then. But she's like she's like a scientist and she is left there on the coast to like take the air and accompany this woman and be cured, basically. 
because that's Mm. what they thought that you could do with depression back then. And I am supposed to believe that they are falling in love and that they are like so passionate about each other that when it is time for um, for Charlotte to return to her life and her husband and, you know, exist as a person in the world again, that, like, she could not possibly leave Mary behind. Nothing. They had all the passion and chemistry of a dead fish. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I wanted this to be better. Yeah, and that's, like, really shocking coming from, like, Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan. Like- right? The the whole movie just fell, fell very flat. And I think that, obviously, part of that is because there was, like, no emotion happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think that with a little bit stronger writing you can create situations where there is more emotion when the writing is really strong because it gives the actors more to work with to like pull that Mm. stuff up and i think that the writing also kind of let them down so then the other movie in this trifecta of the same movie is uh the world to come And this is like maybe going to be controversial to people who have seen all of these movies or who have seen both Ammonite and The World to Come. Mm -hmm. I liked this better than Ammonite. Oh, okay. I think that a lot of people didn't totally buy into it. It's very slow, um, Mm -hmm. which is like a perfectly valid critique. Um, Yeah. I, I wrote a review for a separate movie once that was like just quoting Casey Musgraves. My whole review was, like, quotes from her song Slow Burn, because Uh I am all right with a slow burn. Like, I don't mind that in my movies. Yeah. But I know that for a lot of people, that really does not work for them. So I can see not enjoying this movie, like, purely on that basis, because this is very much a slow burn. Most of the interaction happens, like, in letters and glances, and they don't actually spend a ton of time face-to-face until later in the movie. I really think that Vanessa Kirby and Catherine Waterston had good chemistry. Tally and Abigail read to me as like very believable American frontier housewives who were so isolated. Like the only people they knew were their husbands who are awful. Um, Mm -hmm. Their husbands are played by Casey Affleck, which fitting oh god and (laughs) and christopher abbott who was really good at playing a dick i think that like it was very well cast in that everybody was really believable in their roles and then Mm -hmm. you also completely understood why tally and abigail were like fuck these men i don't Mm -hmm. want anything to do with them anymore i'm much more interested in you and i think between that dynamic and the way that they sort of like built this slow chemistry with each other that actually felt very believable for like people who were maybe not so sure and then kind of feeling it out and then oh there is something here let's like do it but it has to be in secret like let's let's explore this connection but it has to be in secret because their husband like their husbands are very present in their lives right and so i think that this was so much more well written and well crafted to build the relationship with some tension and with some believability that i felt much more like invested in it than I did with Ammonite where there really didn't feel like there was any buildup or there were any like stakes or there was any I don't know other kind of dynamic beyond just oh these two women fall in love right so that's my definitive ranking of the historical white lesbian repression (laughs) movies actually I have a question for you yeah If you could live in any of the movies that we talked about today, 
which one would you live in? Can you imagine if I immediately was like, love Simon? <laughs> I, You know what? Ferris wheel. <laughs> that movie is so happy most of the time. Who wouldn't want to be that happy most of the time? Yeah. Just as, feel that like pure loving sense of joy. Yeah. As long as it's with Kristen Stewart. That's, Done. yeah, that's the, that's the world. <laughs> no, um... I mean, we're in Toronto. It's still winter. I guess we're kind of going to spring. I miss just like the warm summer sizzle. I think I'm going to have to say call me by your name. I was going to say we probably both really just want to exist in Luca's 1980s Italy. Yeah. It's so idyllic. It feels like you would be like living at a vacation home in the heat of summer in a small town where you're isolated from all of your cares and worries. Is that your pick as well? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I love talking about all these movies because I think the running theme throughout is just like, again, how important it is to see obviously the different types of people and the different experiences and stuff on screen and having that to be accessible throughout Mm. like all the different stages in your life and the kind of impact that'll have and the way you grow up and we talked about like all the coming of age films in particular that I you know that I wish I had growing up as well Um, but even now like being able to like have access to all those things and more and um, hopefully with like all these huge like streaming services being able to pick it up um, we're lucky that we have like the festival like the with TIFF and um, all the different festivals that happen like Inside Out as well um, in the city that we have access to all these different things but I don't know it was really really nice to be able to talk about all that through these movies that we picked today yeah I think that that's one of the really special things about movies like this is the conversations they start and the way that they can help people connect to themselves and to other people yeah. through things that like maybe aren't always the easiest to talk about or don't come up naturally in conversation this gives you um an avenue into those conversations yeah if anyone listening have any recommendations i mean there's so much more that's out there that mm-hmm. i need to i need to watch and catch up on um but any sort of recommendation we'd love to hear yes them. you can reach us uh, on Twitter at Pop Martini Soup. You can reach us on Instagram at Popcorn Martini Soup um, or send us an email or a voicemail if you have really strong opinions about anything we said or if you have your own queer faves that you want to shout out and recommend. Um, you can email us at popcornmartinisoup at gmail.com. Okay, so next time, we haven't really planned what we're going to talk about next time. We have a billion ideas, but I thought it might be fun maybe to ask what, what would you want to hear? What do you want to hear us talk about (laughs) we have so many opinions on movies and we don't want to get carried away and just like only focus on our like weird niche interests yeah so if there's stuff that you would like to hear we would love to know we'd love to know and then we can give our opinions and you can write in and tell us how wrong we are i'm very excited for that i love that we've been like we have this running theme of like tell us how wrong we are (laughs) like (laughs) it's true i don't know where that like immediate defensiveness comes from but i will say like i fully acknowledge that i know nothing about movies i just go into them and i'm like how do i feel and what am i into yeah no same we are not like voices of authority no no look (laughs) we're just a couple people that are obsessed about 
comfort food, aka soup, and we love our martinis, and we're just mm-hmm. a couple people that just really will go literally hours and hours and hours and hours talking <laughs> about the same freaking movies or new movies or whatever it is and that's what this podcast is about so <laughs> basically we're saying we want you in on the conversation yeah. what do you want to talk about yeah exactly okay we definitely want to hear from you let us know and i think that's it for today yeah we will chat again soon yeah okay bye bye <laughs>